jazz To make the most of our time Greetings. Welcome to today's Denarius. I'm Ron Thomas. You know, the title that I have for this evening is a hard one, even by my own admission, and certainly it's one that I thought I would never have to deal with in regard to the evangelical church, especially since we have a history, a really strong history of believing the gospel and salvation to be preached according to the word of God as our sole authority for faith and practice. Well, you're going to learn in this episode that pagans in the pulpit are also producing pagans in the pews. And you know, from a biblical standpoint, I do think that many things are rooted in the Old Testament. Uh, when you talk about religious defection and things that were clear departures from God and the way that he wanted things done. And I as I was preparing this, I got to thinking, uh, just look up in Google, and oh, my people loved it so. And it took me to Jeremiah chapter 5. And it, there in Jeremiah, in that section, uh, you know that the book of Jeremiah was written at, that God was warning about judgment that he was going to bring upon the children of Israel, especially from the nation of Babylon. And in chapter 5, you have a litany of the sins of the people that are listed, listed there as departures from the faith. Uh, but in addition to that, at the end of that chapter, Jeremiah comes in and he brings the prophets and the priests in as well. And it really came to be that the people didn't want to hear the word of God anymore. The prophets and the priests weren't preaching and sharing the word and expecting the people to live by the word of God anymore. And it got to be spiritual chaos. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 to 31, after the listing of the sins of the people that are presented in chapter 5, uh, the word says, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority. And then would think that the people would be concerned. That is not what happened. It says there in Jeremiah chapter 5, and my people love it this way. My people love it this way. But then the important question is asked, what, but what will you do when the end comes? Now, I'm going to read that straight through this time. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it this way. But what will you do when the end comes? You know, there's a couple of things I really do notice in there. And this appalling and horrible thing is really is what is seen in the eyes of God. And it makes me reflect on what uh, the Word says in Jesus, the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and the problems and the things that were happening, the way the people in there uh, were engaging in immorality, or uh, they were making, uh, they were dead churches, they were doing things way out of practice with the way they were to be done in Scripture. And only two of those churches of the seven were actually doing uh, it correctly. But prophets prophesy falsely because they were claiming they were having visions. But they weren't. 
and their dreams and everything were really just building upon one another. So one prophet would say one thing, another would say another. They would say, I have a dream, I have a dream. And oh my goodness, doesn't that sound like today? I could go through a litany of people on, I see on YouTube, and these videos are out there left and right, and how they're saying they're having these dreams, and some of them are so unbiblical. If someone recently said that there is going to be like a marriage in heaven and stuff, and Jesus made that very clear, that we don't marry in heaven, says we are like the angels. So what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe this false prophet? Or are you going to believe what Jesus said? Well, I'll take Jesus every time. If it's in the word of God and Jesus said it, I believe it. And I'm certainly going to take that over anybody who claims to be a false uh, a prophet who is actually a false prophet. But this is what those prophets were doing back then. They were doing the same thing uh, that many people who claim to be prophets are doing today. And they have to do it and they have to get more dramatic all the time to keep their audience, to keep their audience. You say, that's a bad thing to say. Well, no, it isn't really. It's the same reason why people uh, make certain videos and stuff on YouTube is to keep their audience and to build an audience, stuff like that. Uh, it happens in business, happens everywhere, this kind of thing. And oh my goodness, does it ever happen in religion as well. But they're not preaching the word of God. They're not preaching the way of salvation. They're not preaching about the way that Christians are to live the sanctified life, that we are to live separate from the world, because that message doesn't sell. And then you have the priests who were doing everything wrong with sacrifice and living off high on the hog. But the people loved it this way because they could go out and do whatever they wanted to do. And like I said in that earlier chapter, you go and see, uh, it's very clear uh, what the children of Israel were up to. My people love it this way, but what will you do when the end comes? And the fact of the matter is, that time, that end, did come for the children of Israel in the form of 70 years of captivity, starting in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians, led by no other than the great king, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I do want to say here that Circus Church will come to an end one day too. The New Testament makes that very clear as well. And you know, I look at our time in our church today, and I have never seen uh, the way people apostatize these days, uh, the way that these seeker-sensitive churches don't even realize they're not preaching the gospel, but in many cases, they're engaging in pagan practices. And just sheer entertainment uh, to entertain the lost people thinking just a way to get them interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're not even preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't even know what it is. They can't mention the word sin or those people will run out of the church. Well, if anybody's going to get saved, my friend, they have to come to Jesus Christ. They have to be confronted by their sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ confronts us with who we are. It teaches us that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What do you do with that? Well, there will be a bad ending for anyone who rejects this gospel. We are to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. I look back to somewhere in the 1990s where I, I got a taste of this type of thinking. And there was a lady I invited uh, to my church uh, somewhere during those years. I can't remember when exactly it was. 
but I was I invited her to my church while I was living back in Missouri. You talk about the heart of the Bible Belt. Uh, that's where I lived at the time. And you can find evangelical churches everywhere. Uh, generally back then, evangelical churches were still strongly preaching gospel messages. Uh, they were giving altar calls. Uh, certainly there were strong appeals for, for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ back then. But something was starting to happen in that period, and it really started to turn from what used to be a substance over style, and substance over the Word of God, over style, or what is, what is your uh, form of worship, your style of worship, which I think is a horrible term, a horrible way to put it. Uh, but when I expected her to ask questions about the pastor, uh, if the church is fundamentally sound and true to the faith, it really kind of threw me for a loop because she asked me that very question. What is your worship style? Uh, well, my question and response is, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, it had to do with the form of entertainment, which was beginning to evolve in the 1990s and certainly has evolved into a monster uh, in our times, especially from the mega churches. So we are going to see a result of what the seeds uh, that we have planted, because uh, really on May 16th, uh, the Christian Post put out an article, and this was about a study. I'll just go ahead uh, and give you the headline. This says, Study Finds 37% of Pastors Have Biblical Worldview, Spiritual awakening needed in our pulpits. Well, being the good journalism guy I was, and being that, to me, that's a red flag, red alert, uh, put up the two hurricane flags because we are in it, uh, I would have written the headline, Study Finds Only 30% of Pastors Have a Biblical Worldview. Do you understand the implications of such a horrible horrible percentage you know I, I mean i knew it i knew it was bad out there <laughs> i didn't have any idea uh it was this bad after some of the recent uh dealings with the big moral issues of our time the failures of the evangelical church to stand up even recently uh for the unborn uh, something bad's going on out there i could give other issues as well this demonstrates Really, the problems that we are having in our churches today is because we have pagans in our pulpits. This story was written by Anagura Kumar, and it comes from some research. And George Barna has been an established researcher uh, in the evangelical community and maybe other organizations as well. For many years, in fact, I have held him responsible for the reason why we are in this entertainment church mode. Because years ago, he did his surveys and he took a poll of the people and people weren't wanting sermons. People weren't wanting that in the church. They were basically wanting shorter messages and they wanted more music. Well, they were basically saying that they wanted what we have come to today. They wanted entertainment. And now the entertainment has gone above board. 
to where we have brought all kinds of worldly practices in the church. If you don't believe it, then I only have one question for you. How does a group get in to Andy Stanley's church in Atlanta, Georgia, and put half a Led Zeppelin concert on on a Sunday morning service? I have another question for you. How does on Easter Sunday an evangelical church have a mock crucifixion, not of people portraying or wearing the costumes of Jesus' time? They put Iron Man on a cross. And of course, Loki was the bad guy who put him there. What kind of nonsense is that? And there are other churches that are regularly playing secular music in churches, thinking they're going to draw the worldlings in there and they're going to be interested in the church. Well, they may be interested in your entertainment, but the question is, what kind of gospel are you preaching to them? I doubt you're preaching it at all. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're truly preaching the gospel, you're not going to let worldly entertainment into your church. And I will ask this question, too, regarding Led Zeppelin music. Since when did it become acceptable acceptable to play Led Zeppelin music in church? Stairway to Heaven is an occultic song. It's about the Tower of Babel. I got to visit the Tower of Babel site in 2003. But I don't glory in that in any way, shape, or form because that place was a place of evil. Babylon, in fact, in the Bible is, worldly-wise, the ultimate place, the ultimate symbol of evil place that was condemned. But since when are we having, and in fact, the lead singer of that group, I believe, was Robert Plant, uh, worships the occult. He he engages in black magic. That was his life. That was his living. And we're playing and we're inviting the devil's music into our church, thinking we're doing that and playing it for our congregation and Christianizing him. Do you think all the people in your congregation for one second who, who lived through that era and stuff and and we're stoned, et cetera, and stuff like that. Do you think they really forgot about that, Andy Stanley, when you said, well, sometimes we've got to remember what we were. No, you don't. They never forgot. Jesus saved them out of that. You really think they want to be reminded of that? I wouldn't. You know, this is, this is not good Christian thinking, friends. And we are where we are today because when George Barna years ago advocated that we preach shorter messages, little homilies, ditties, come to call them, and, and take the hard stuff out of the sermon, by the way, because people don't want to be hear that hard stuff about how they should be living. They don't want to hear about morality. They don't want to hear about that three-letter word, three word called sin. But you need to teach them the practical things of life. You need to teach them the how-tos, how to manage your money, for instance, how to take care of your families. Now, I, I'm not going to say for a second that life skills and things like that aren't important. I mean, there's a whole book in the Bible called the Book of Proverbs that's about life skills. But what is the priority for the church? We're going to look further into that as we get in this message. But this is serious stuff. This is the heart of the issue of why we are in our crisis in the pulpit today. If we have a crisis in the pulpit, believe me, we have a crisis in the pews as well. A new study from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, and you will find out who is behind this study here in a little bit, has found that just 37% of Christian pastors in the United States have a biblical worldview. 
demonstrating that spiritual awakening is needed just as desperately in our pulpits as it is in the pews, according to the pollster. And later on in this story, you find out the pollster is George Barna. And I would say to George Barna, you know, you need, a, you need a whole lot of revival too because you, in part, are responsible for this. This is what you have created. And so many pastors followed your model and then arose the megachurch. And, and now we just have an evangelical church that's so watered down, can't even find its identity at things that are representative of what we're supposed to be uh, from Scripture. The nationwide study of about 1,000 Christian pastors found that just slightly more than a third, that's 37%, of U.S. pastors hold a biblical worldview. The majority, 62%, possess a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. I'm sorry, syncretism. I'll explain more on that shortly. It does give the uh, it does give the meaning of what it's talking about by syncretism here in a little bit. All right, this study was released on Thursday, May 12th, and this study is time-sensitive, hence the podcast. It showed that 41% of senior pastors compared to 28% of associate pastors have a biblical worldview. So it gets worse as you go down. So the senior pastors, the ones that have been around longer, seem to have more of a worldview, but the pastors coming up behind them you better fear for this next generation because they're worse than where we are now. We've got the case of the false prophets coming, the false priests, and God's people are loving it so. Wow. You want to know what? This is where it really, really gets bad and sad. And I knew what was going on in youth ministry has been bad for many years. All they do is just do entertainment. and They're not teaching anything about the Word of God. And you get these... Young kids up there, they just talk. They don't know anything. I was so blessed when I was a kid that I had a teacher, Scott Phillips, who loved God, loved the Word of God, and taught us in my Sunday school class about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what's happening in our churches today. You want to know why? Listen to this. Further, only 13% of teaching pastors and 12% of children's and youth pastors have a biblical worldview. What has happened in the evangelical church? Well, you know what's happened is, number one, we started pre stopped preaching the gospel. Number two, we just stopped teaching the word of God. It usually starts when we stop preaching the gospel. And when we deflect to methods that are, are not biblical, the seeker-sensitive church model is not a biblical model, period. We are not in the church. We are to preach Jesus Christ. We are. What happened in the early church? They listened to the apostles' doctrine. They got together, prayers, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. But it was a gospel-centered church. They loved to listen to the teaching of the word. People aren't coming to church for that. Houston, we have a problem. The youth pastors, only 13% have a biblical worldview. Well, you say, what is a biblical worldview? Well, a worldview, biblically, is one that's developed, really, starting with Genesis chapter 1. And that given is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is founded upon, what? Of course, there is a God. 
The biblical worldview develops through the processes of like God's commandments, what Jesus said, what Jesus taught, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It deals with those uh, issues of ethics, morality that come from Scripture, uh, come from our faith in Christ, from the good news. All of that combined together helps form a biblical worldview. But I'll tell you right now, this has to be understood very clearly. You do not have a chance to develop a, a wor biblical worldview, a Christian worldview in your own life unless you're in the scriptures, unless you're reading the Bible. If you don't have a daily Bible reading plan that you go through annually, and really the process of time as you read the word, if you really are a child of God, you start developing, you start understanding that scripture and, and, and applying those things and at times meditating and applying to your heart. You start developing a biblical worldview. But you can also get that in other ways. Certainly there's other ways to study uh, and get a biblical worldview. There are books out there on it. You have an interest in the Word of God. It will come naturally because the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you and teach you and illuminate you as you read his word. You have to do that in order to develop a biblical worldview. All of these people, I'm telling you right now, that are interested in syncretism and among other things, not reading their Bible. They may grab a verse or two now and then and throw it out there and give it, get an ooh and ah for it. I'm telling you right now, they're not reading their Bible. And it's very clear because if they were reading their Bible or into it, these percentages would be much, much higher. Now, this isn't finished yet. I really <laughs> fret to finish this. But the lowest level of biblical worldview was among executive pastors, with only 4% of them holding consistent biblical beliefs and behaviors. Oh, now we're getting into beliefs and behaviors. So this survey not, it, it included more than just what a person or what a pastor believed. It also went into what they believed about issues of morality as well. So only 4% of these executive pastors, I don't have that defined here, I wish we did, but I would say executive pastors, maybe they're administrative support for some of these megachurches out there, I don't know. The research included 54 worldview-related questions, and it found that only 47% of the pastors have a biblical worldview regarding family and the value of life. Now, I don't know that this might have to do with the issue of abortion, of abortion but back in the day, evangelicals were about 99% on the biblical worldview regarding family and the value of life. 44% concerning issues related to God, creation, and history. You know, it would really be interesting to go into detail about that one. Are these people accepting evolution as a possibility or a mix of evolution creationism? Uh, you know, we believe in the Bible as evangelicals, and I do have a quote later on uh, from Martin Lloyd-Jones in this regard. What's the issues concerning God that they might think? Uh, the Bible is very clear on God and who God is and how we are relate to him. So this is, this is getting interesting as it goes on. 43% in relation to personal faith practices. 43% when it comes to matter of sin, salvation, and one's relationship with God. So 
what this is saying here is that only 43% have a biblical worldview when it becomes to the matter, the importance of sin, salvation, and one's relationship with God. Don't you understand if they, a pastor doesn't have these at the top of the priority list, they're not going to be preaching the gospel from behind the pulpit. And because really all of these other people, uh, what is that, 57%, are basically saying that they really don't truly believe in the plan, plan of salvation as presented in Scripture. So you got a pagan, a lost person, preaching from your pulpit as a result. Yes, that is a conclusion that can easily be reached from this survey. 40% pertaining to human character and human nature. So now we get to make our own rules. This is where postmodernism is very evident. It really is just growing throughout this survey. And 40% when it comes to measures of lifestyle, personal behavior, and relationships. Aren't these things interesting? You know, one of the things that I had last week, a discussion uh, with a friend over issues of morality, and the person says, no, that's not something that I decide. No, the, the issues of morality are decided upon Scripture already. Uh, we have a moral law called, called the Ten Commandments. That is God's standard. It never changes. We don't lord it over the Ten Commandments. We don't, if we are Christians, we don't lord it over the commands that are given to us in Scripture, ones that call for sanctification, separation from the world, that we are to forget the sin that so easily entangles us. These things are commands to pull away from those things. Live separate lives from the world. The Christian is the only one. The true Christian is the only going to be the only one that's going to have a desire to do that because if the Holy Spirit lives in you and you've been truly regenerated, you have the power to do that. Not that you're not going to struggle with sin on occasion, but you're never going to truly depart from the faith because the Holy Spirit is in you. And that's what's called the doctrine of preservation or perseverance. And only those are the ones who are going to really come to the end and be with Jesus for eternity. We have some major issues going on in the church. And Martin Lloyd-Jones made this quote, and it's very well worth giving here. Once you go astray in your doctrine, you will very soon be going astray in your behavior. You cannot divorce doctrine from behavior. And I'm telling you right now, that list I just gave is a perfect example of that quote that has gotten to us to where we are today. Once you go astray in your doctrine, you will very soon be going astray in your behavior you can't divorce doctrine from behavior. You know, you can. You can divorce it all you want in your heart and mind. You can avoid reading that Bible all you want, minister. You can. You can get up there and think you're doing something every week. But you know what? That Bible there is still true. That Bible is 100% true. Our only rule of faith and practice, infallible, and we are bound to its authority. And you know what? You can't run from it forever. You can't run from it. It's a plain fact. What are you going to do in the end? Let's, let's ask that question right here. What are you going to do in the end? Because somewhere along the way, the fun is going to stop. Now, we're not finished yet either. In fact, less than 1% of pastors embody a worldview other than biblical theism, i.e. the biblical worldview. Instead, their prevailing worldview is best described as syncretism, 
the blending of ideas and applications from a variety of holistic worldviews into a unique but inconsistent combination that represents their, note this, personal preferences. Did you get that? People are making their own rules. Things that make that represent their personal practice uh, preferences. Now, I made a video on Kevin Max, one of the singers of DC Talk, uh, who apostatized well, probably around six or seven months ago. One of my most listened to videos, uh, watched videos on YouTube. Um, he was creating his own and encouraging people to create their own synchristic type religion. He called uh, God and Jesus, the cosmic Christ, uh, things of that nature, which really blended a lot of New Ageism. This is what happens in these situations. You have these pagans in the pulpit who really aren't, they don't believe in Scripture, at least they were honest enough in this survey, who are really believing in New Age uh, religion, many of them. Uh, some of them will take more in religious um, practice, Buddhism, Mix that with their Christianity. This is what syncretism is. It's a blending. What you and I do is we pick and choose certain parts of certain maybe faith beliefs or other certain practices from other pagan religions, and we blend them in. Yeah, we'll take some Jesus and throw him in there too because we got to have that Christian thing as well. And what you get is everybody creating their own idol. And they think it's fine. The people love it so. You know, I got to tell you, I love what Rich Mullins wrote in a song years ago, and the song was called Creed. You know, you could just sit down, minister, if you're listening to this podcast. Why don't you take a look at the Apostles' Creed just as a basic and ask yourself, do you believe all of these? And you know what? You have to say to yourself, do I believe all this in exception to all those other things that you mix in your little potpourri to get to where you are spiritually? Because they don't mix. You can't mix those things in with Christianity. Jesus is alive. And the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given in, among men under heaven by which we must be saved. There is no option. Rich Mullins wrote in a song years ago, he says, And I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God, not the invention of any man. And he's talking about the word of God. I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. This comes to the question of are you being conformed to the image of Christ? And how do we do that? The word of God molds us and forms us. As we read it, get illuminated through reading of Scripture by the Holy Spirit, and we learn to apply it and live this Christian life. And we live it by faith. This is very distressing, I mean, in many ways. George Barna writes that discovering that seven out of every eight of those pastors lack a biblical worldview helps explain why so few people in the nation's youngest generations are developing a heart and mind for biblical principles and ways of life, and why our society seems to have to run wild over the last decade in particular. Yes, because the issue of morality is huge, and the evangelical church has been almost completely ineffective. 
while it's been going on. Well, this is why, because we have people behind the pulpits who have no biblical worldview. They're not reading the Word of God. They may be reading things, but they're not reading the Word of God. Because if they are reading the Word of God and put it into practice, we would have a very different result in the pews and what's going on in our churches today. We need to preach the gospel so people can get saved again. We are on high alert. Barna went on further to say, and I've been hard on Barna already, but I'm telling you right now, he created a lot of this problem that we're in. It's plain and simple. He did, and I explained that earlier by what he told pastors years ago. And I'm telling you right now, these pastors swallowed up. His books were bestsellers back then in the 1990s. They really were. And then all of a sudden, you started seeing these mega churches grow. You started seeing a movement for more preaching, the shorter sermons. All this stuff was happening out there, and, and it has gotten to an extreme now where really we have invited paganism into our churches. And now it, all you got to do is do a survey of uh, YouTube channels, what's happened in some of these churches, and it's very clear what's going on. And it's a result of this. Syncretism. Syncretism happened with the children of Israel. It says in Second uh, Kings that the people were mixing pagan practices and yet saying they were serving the Lord at the same time. Really, that's what this syncretism is. It's the same thing. They're pulling in other things, other faith practices, many of them paganism, pulling them with their so-called Christianity, which is no Christianity at all, and creating their own way, their own idol of worship. And it doesn't work. It is not saving at all. It's very condemning. And you know what? They love it, and their people love it so. But Barna says, it certainly seems that if America is going to experience a spiritual revival, awakening is needed just as desperately in our pulpits as in the pews. And that is a question, though. I mean, will revival happen? You know, a nation right now that is in such dire straits, and with a church, in many cases, because like I say, what you see right here is the great falling away right before you. And you don't see any interest in coming back uh, in these people. Because to really have a true revival, you have to think there has to be a repentance. There has to be true conviction of sin. These churches aren't even preaching about those things at all, nor are they interested in that. I don't know what can happen. I mean, God is certainly more than able to bring revival. But we're not in a place that's in line with the church in the past. Uh, we're seeing a lot of rejection of God in very big ways, not just in the world. But we're seeing it in the church as well with so many faith departures uh, across the board. Michael Youssef, a longtime pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, he was talking about how we are seeing deconstruction. And I do have a video on de uh, deconstruction, so I'm not going to explain that here tonight. Uh, but pastors are watering down the gospel and other things are going on. Well, you got an idea of that from the earlier part of this show. But, but you know, on a more, uh, in a way, simplistic manner here, uh, in thinking about what should a person look for in a church, and Yusuf was explaining simply, uh, what do you do to find a church? Well, the question is, do they lift up Jesus and the cross of Christ as the only hope of salvation? Well, I would say the first question you ought to ask, are they a true Bible-believing church? Because if they are a true Bible-believing church, they're going to probably get that question right about Jesus being the only hope of salvation correct and on eternal life, calling 
men and women to repent of their sins and to turn to the Lord. Preaching the word, things that we are supposed to do. Uh, if those things aren't correct, then you need to find another church. You need a search. Put that search on and get through this famine for hearing the word of the Lord that we are living through today uh, and find a new place of worship where the word is preached and the word is preached faithfully in the sense that it is our only rule of faith and practice in according to which is, uh, with its authority and its infallibility. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 to 4, because really in there, uh, Paul gave his final instructions to Timothy, and for him as a pastor, what was his last words to him? Paul said to him, three simple words right at the start. Preach the word, not yourself, not about politics, not about social issues. Preach the word, and the word is in the scripture. Are we doing and preaching this book to the glory of God? And are we being a lighthouse preaching that Christian message to where people can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to know the way, the truth, and the life, the way that the Bible says, and the way that evangelicals have traditionally held to it. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 there Paul says, preach the word, and, and he tells him how to do it, the way to do it. And even when you're not feeling good there, Timothy, you got to keep doing it. And it's not always going to go easy for you. But you got to keep doing it. You got to preach this message, the word of Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. And by the way, when that time comes, oh, the people are going to love it so, and they do today. They will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Well, what are these myths? Well, you know what? That's their creation of their syncretism. However, they, whatever they want it to be is what, will, what it will become. They create their own idols. And you know, in my ministry, I have seen that happen plenty of times, and I see it going into mythology more today, because when a nation turns its back on God, anything goes. So there are all kinds of pagan practices that even date back to the, the Romans right now, and even beyond that, much more so than you would even realize because of a rejection of God. And you know, they love it so. Goodness, when an evangelical church puts Jesus on a Christ, uh, Christ on the cross with Loki and these other beings and stuff like that. That's mythology when you have Loki there. What's going on in our churches today? Because people don't want the truth. They want to turn aside to myths. Because you, you can control idols. They make you, you can do whatever you want to do. But the second that you are confronted by the good news and stuff, but to turn your life over to Christ and the truth of the good news... You have to give up yourself. And that pride in everything is probably the main reason that people don't come to Christ. Well, let's go on a little further. What is an evangelical? Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I believe was the greatest preacher in the 20th century. To me, by far, it's not even close. But Martin Lloyd-Jones 
1971, he preached a sermon series titled, What is an Evangelical? The first rule of what being an evangelical is flies really in the face of this, the result of this survey uh, that I have talked about today. This is very important. In fact, one of these days soon, I'm going to do either probably a short series. I think it'll probably have to go more than one podcast. But I do want to talk about what is an evangelical, because tell you the truth today, people don't even know what an evangelical is. You can say, well, it needs to be redefined. No, it doesn't need. It's been defined. We're just not following it. And Martin Lloyd-Jones really laid out the template well, because it was generally understood back then what an evangelical is. But it's not now because of these departures that you see from these surveys. You don't get a 47% like that if people believe that the Word of God, that we are to be subservient to it, that we are to be men and women of the book. And talking about the Bible there. How does that happen? But in there, in that series, he gives the definition, the first definition of an evangelical. First of all, the evangelical is one who is entirely subservient to the Bible. John Wesley said that he had become a, quote, man of the book. This is true of every evangelical. He is a man of the book. He starts with it. He submits himself to it. This is his authority, and it's hers too. He does not start from any extra-biblical authority. Do you understand that? That turns off syncretism, bang, in a heartbeat. We don't look for anything else to follow or to mix in our belief and our practice. It is our soul, our only rule of faith and practice. And if you find your satisfaction in something else, you are not a Christian, and you're certainly not an evangelical. Don't claim the title. There is a very popular pastor out there, the son of a famous pastor who retired last year, who has said some things that are so contrary to the Bible that he is not a man of the book, and he is not an evangelical. His name is Andy Stanley. I won't say more, but he is on record of saying things about the Old Testament and the New Testament that are very unbiblical, not true of Scripture, and not indicative of somebody who is supposed to be a man of the book. We reject anything, any extra-biblical authority when it comes to our rule of faith and practice. We are subservient to the Bible. He confines himself and submits himself completely to the teaching of the Bible. This is rule number one to be an evangelical. Martin Lloyd-Jones was 100% correct to put that one number one. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God. Now, that word there for inspire is the asnustas in the Greek, which means God breathed. I really would like to see translations just simply put, all scripture is breathed out by God, because that's exactly word for word what it means. Only the New International Version of the 1977 New International Version, I know, has it that way. They may have it still to this day, but I don't read the NIV. 
but it is breathed out by God. Why wouldn't we want the Bible to be our sole focus? Well, I would have to say, if you don't have an interest in the Bible, you think you have to teach your people other sources or mix other things in there. You're not a believer. True believers love the Word of God, learn the Word of God, read the Word of God. They're illuminated by the Word of God, and they grow in the Word of God because it's a living book. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Training in righteousness. How we can live lives in this world separated for the work that God's called us to do. Where are you at on this issue? And in light of this too, I would also just quote the verse, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Why would you want to go to any other source? I can't understand that. We have a beautiful treasure. I love to read the word of God every day. I love to read from the Robert Murray Machine plan annually. And I grow each year. I learn new things. I'm glad I've done that for, goodness, I think over 30 years. But it's very special. And it's easy to pick things out in the church that are happening today because when you know the Word of God well enough, elders, you're supposed to know it. Deacons, you're supposed to know this. You need to grow in the faith. And you need to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ. And we only do that when we are in the Word. And certainly when we're in fellowship, sure, we grow in church, you know, but we have to make sure that the word is being preached for that to happen. And if we have Sunday school, what are we doing? Are we just singing only? Or are we being taught the word of God? Are we really learning and not learning not just, you know, by reading, but are we learning how to apply this word as we live our lives daily? You know, I like what John MacArthur wrote. I have a quote by him, too, and uh, it's very much... Uh, in line with this particular podcast. He says, you don't think the world has infected your church? Cut out the music. (laughs) Cut out the entertainment, please. I couldn't agree with him more. Turn on all the lights. Normal light bulbs, please. Turn off your spotlights. Quit shutting off your lights in the church and putting them on the entertainers is what he's saying. And boy, I have been advocating that for a long time. It's horrible in evangelical churches that we are turning the lights off and focusing on the entertainers. One is we don't walk in darkness. I think what it represents bothers me greatly. And number two, think about congregational singing uh, people. We should be singing in unison together. Choir, congregation, choir, we don't need the five or to 10 entertainers standing there waving their arms and everything there. Sit them down. We don't need that show. We need the church body to be singing in unison. Great songs, great hymns in congregational worship. But if you're doing these other things, you're doing entertainment. I, you can call me being judgmental and stuff like that, but we are not going to be growing by entertainment. And it's already been proven by studies that people are less engaged in worship time because they're watching the entertainers. They are not participating in the singers. They may wave their arms, but they're not really joining in. And this is what we have brought about today as a part of this entertainment culture. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read this again and and listen to what John MacArthur says at the end. You don't think the world has infected your church. Cut out the music, turn on all the lights, normal light bulbs, please. 
have a man stand in front of them and preach the word. <laughs> Try and sell that. <laughs> John MacArthur, you are spot on. <laughs> the survey shows they aren't preaching the word these days because the fact of the matter is if they were, those people wouldn't be attending the church. They're there for the entertainment. They're giving it to them and they're watering down the message. That's what John MacArthur is saying there. What is a true church? Well, the reformers, I believe, got it right. The reformers said there were three identifiers of a true church. One of them is where ordinances, and they're referring to two ordinances, they are properly administered. The second one, and this mostly affects what this particular podcast is about today, is that the gospel and the word of God is preached. And it is the focus. It's not preached casually. It's not like a byline or a byword. No, it is the focus. It is Christ-centered. It is glorifying God. It is centristic that way. It is not just us talking about ourselves and, oh, it will bring a little God into the sermon. No, it is for the full focus to be centered upon worshiping and glorifying God in Jesus Christ and his good news. And the third one is, and this doesn't happen, I can't remember the last time it did, uh, church discipline is practiced as required. Those were the three identifiers of a true church uh, to the reformers, making up really what's come kind of an evangelical church. Well, where are we at on that today? Um, I think we can really conclude that uh, that area hasn't gone too well. Well, as we conclude today, uh, Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s had to deal with this. Charles Spurgeon was the greatest preacher of his era, one of the greatest Baptist preachers of all time. Many think he uh, is number one. But uh, in England, London, uh, his church, the most famous church of his time, he left, by, left behind a litany of many, many sermons. I think there's about 38 volumes of Charles Spurgeon uh, sermons, and he did write other things as well. But he gave us some pretty good advice uh, to close out. He says to congregants, do not go to church where it is all fine music, grand talk. Oh, and by the way, grand talk, I love that one because that's some of these guys get up there and, and they're trying to be wordsmiths all the time. Just preach the good news. God will take care of the wordsmithing in people's hearts. Just preach the good news. You don't have to preach fancy words. Try to create fancy words. Well, I got to come up with some good alliteration today. No, preach the gospel. Let God create the alliteration of people's hearts so they understand it and want to and see their need to come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Pastor, you need to believe the word. You need to live the word of God and you need to preach the word of God. You need to be an example to others so they can come to Christ and those who are in Christ can be inspired to grow more in the faith. But Charles Spurgeon says, do not go where it is all fine music, grand talk, and beautiful architecture. Oh, big monster megachurch. <laughs> He's so ahead of his time here. No, because this was happening in his day. He says, go where the gospel is preached and go often. Go where the gospel is preached and go often. Yes, Christian, and let us make sure 
that we are going to the house of God often. I do want to say thank you for listening. I know this is not the norm of the podcasts uh, that I do on my Two Days Denarius channel, but there are times that I am going to have to do things for the awareness of those in the faith uh, to let you know what's going on out there. And certainly at this time, if we are finding so few Bible-believing churches that are evident uh, from surveys of pastors themselves, uh, that certainly should wave a red flag to us that we have to be extra careful in what type of church uh, that we attend. Now, I will say to you the best thing I've said in this podcast is that you need to engage yourself in the Word of God. It's up to you and me. We are responsible. Uh, if we're going to live according to this Word, how are we going to know how to live it? If one of the things we're not doing is actively reading it, I do think that would be common sense uh, in our realm. But I also say if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even if as you listen to it today, uh, don't just look at Christians and say, oh yeah, they can't get all their act together and things like that. And I would say to you, yeah, that's true. Sometimes we don't have our act together. But that does not mean in any stretch of the imagination that you are not accountable to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or suffer an eternal separation from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So where are you? You know, one day you're going to stand before God, as it says in Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself or herself before God. I would encourage you to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know what? If you do that, maybe you can come and help us fix our problems in the church today. Well, you know, we need Christians walking in accordance to faith. If we were following the Bible, the scriptures, and Jesus commands the way we should be doing them, we would not be experiencing these things today. But I do encourage you to stay strong in the faith. This is meant to encourage us to pray, to seek God's face, that he might bring a true revival to the church so we can repent, come to him, and put ourselves under his lordship to be the Christians that we ought to be in these troubled times. But you know what? The question comes... From Jeremiah chapter 5. But what will you do when the end comes? And one day that will come. So let, our, let us get ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord. And certainly walk the way that he wants us to walk. Well, thank you for listening to today's Denarius. And I would encourage you also to go over to the YouTube channel. I recently put out a video on the life of David Brainerd. Very interesting one. Jonathan Edwards called him the model for how the Christian life uh, should be lived. And that was part one, a very interesting video. And I hope to get part two up sometime in the near future. But till next time, let's go ahead and close off. And I just want to say thank you again. This is Ron Thomas. And God bless you all. Amen. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom to satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy
to the ends of our lives. Teach us to make the most of our time.